Welcome to Beyond Their Resumes, a career and professional development platform designed for you, the modern global professional. My name is Jerry Wan, and I invite you to join me every day as we learn from leaders from various industries representing the entire world. They'll share with us both their worst and best advice and a book that inspires them daily. Be sure to join our newsletter at beyondtheresumes.com, follow us on social media at beyondtheresumes, and share this with a friend, classmate, or colleague. Thank you so much for tuning in, and here now is today's guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Resumes. I'm your host, Jerry Wan, and wherever you are, whenever you may be listening to us, we wish you health, safety, and happiness as we navigate a challenging year that has been 2020, and whatever you are pursuing in life, academics, career, and happiness overall, uh, we wish you all the luck, and we were here to help you. And we do that by inviting some of the world's best experts across the fields in a whole number of different things. And we ask them to share their best advice and their worst advice and their life lessons along the way with you. Today, I am so excited to share space with Richard Leong, who is a DEI consultant and just an overall amazing human being who's been very kind um, and a very active member of the digital communities to which I belong. And so welcome, Richard, to the show. Hey, man. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. Welcome to the show. You've done a lot of amazing work. We'll, we'll get to all the things that you've done. Uh, but in your own words, Richard, introduce yourself to the audience. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name's Richard. My pronouns are he, him, and his. Uh, in general, I'm a diversity, equity, inclusion consultant and strategist now. Uh, but some of the other things that I really think about are, number one, I am a trained teacher. I'm a former educator. Uh, former fifth grade teacher, rather. And the story that I always share to sort of like get folks to understand you know, who I am and why I'm passionate about the things that I do, it all really honestly goes back to teaching. Um, so if it's okay with you, Jerry, I want to share a quick story here. Sure, which is that, uh, yeah. So when I was a teacher, it was, you know, it was my first job straight out of college, and I did a program called Teach for America. Uh, for folks who are unfamiliar with that program, you don't exactly get an entire choice. You don't really get a whole lot of choice in where you end up teaching. And so I had graduated college from New York City at Columbia, but they sent me over to Minnesota to teach. I was placed as a fifth grade teacher um, in one of the most low-income neighborhoods of St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and I, I grew up in SoCal, so I had no friends, right? Like no connections, no network whatsoever in Minnesota. And as part of our teaching program, we had these Saturday sessions where the whole cohort of new teachers would get together to do some training. And I remember there was this one like super cold winter morning in Minnesota where we all gathered and we listened to this incredible speech by this presenter about, for especially for teachers of color, for folks of color, we shouldn't feel obligated to teach the way that white teachers did. Instead, we should draw power from our cultural heritage, from our mm -hmm. backgrounds. We should leverage that to be better teachers, especially because most of us were teaching students of color predominantly. And so I remember sitting there and being like, wow, this is really inspiring. And I have no idea what this guy is talking about because I had no, I had never really processed what my Asian identity meant to me, much less how do I use that to be a better teacher, especially considering I was teaching predominantly Asian among students, right? Mm. And so I was really excited because after this, this whole group session was done, we were going to have lunch and then we we're going to have breakouts where we we're going to be um, in affinity spaces. I was going to sit in a room with all the other Asian teachers and we were going to be able to break down this lecture, figure out, you know, what does it mean for us and how are we going to use this tomorrow when we go back to our classrooms? And I was so excited that 
I finished the lunch like super fast. I just like wolfed it down and just went to the room and just waited, right? I got there like 15 minutes early and I was just waiting. And I was waiting, waiting, and I was waiting. And it was like 20 minutes after the session was supposed to start when I realized I was going to be the only person in the room that day. Hmm. Because out of our cohort of like 40, 50 teachers, I could count on one hand the number of folks that identified as Asian. And I like did the quick like mental round rundown, like where have these folks been? Oh, okay, like two are multiracial. They chose to be in a different space. That's that's legit. That's cool. Um, one person was sick, right? And I think one person just like ditches these things. And so it was just me, right? Alone in that space. And it was, I, I kid you not, Jerry, it was one of the most sort of, I, I, I can sort of joke about it now, but back then it was one of the most crushingly sort of lonely and isolating moments of my entire life where I not only didn't get you know this training that I felt like I needed on behalf of my students, I didn't get this training that I felt like I needed for me, right? I didn't get the space. I didn't get the people in the community that I wanted to be around. Um, and so ever since that moment, you know, in all the jobs that I've done, which we'll get to, and all the work that I've done, and all the jobs that I've done, I've always been on the search for community. Um, so number one, like finding spaces where I really resonate with people. And then at a deeper level, finding spaces where I'm amongst the Asian folks that I resonate. And I think that's awesome, man. It's hard to find folks that look like me and you in a lot of the fields that you currently and have been in, um, in the DEI space. You know, um, we have some amazing people in our community who, who do DEI work, um, but there's not enough of us. There are a lot of people who look like me and you um, in education, um, but as many of our parents have, uh, you know, encouraged us to do so, we seek more higher education opportunities in teaching at the professor level and not necessarily in primary education, and certainly not through programs like TFA that freely focus on bringing equity to the universe by helping people and reaching out to people from underserved communities. So it's off the top. Thank you for what you do. Uh, we need more of you, and, and I think we will have more. Um, I think that considering all that's going on in 2020, it has really awakened a lot of people to step up and to seek ulterior careers and alternative ways to contribute to the growth of society and, and a movement towards more um, equitable stuff. You've had a, quite a bit of robust experience in life, Richard. Through all that, I'm sure people have given you some good advice, some bad advice, and let's get the bad one out of the way. What is the worst life or career advice you've ever received and why was it so bad? <laughs> I love this question. I do not feel like we talk about this question enough and I love that you're asking it because I think it's so powerful. So the, the worst advice that I've ever gotten was don't take things personally. Um, and that's in response, that's in reference to like getting, you know, really harsh feedback and, and things like that. Um, and the reason why I think it's like terrible advice, and I, I say this, um, and I recognize, you know, I, I say this as someone who's sort of had his career in social impact, right? Like I started in education, and then I got into, um, uh, well, leadership development uh, towards equity, and now I'm a diversity, equity, inclusion consultant, right? So it's a lot of social impact stuff here. Uh, but the reason why I say that, you know, don't take things personally is like a terrible piece of advice to give is that for so many folks that do the work that I do, we do this stuff because we put so much of our own personality into it, right? Like we do this work because we deeply care about people or we do this work because the process of doing it is actually healing from our own traumas, dealing with systemic racism and other forms of oppression, right? Um, like I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't put so much of my own, like every fiber of my own being into the work that I do. And so when I get the advice of like, don't take it personally, like I understand what someone's trying to say when they say that. They, they mean like, you know, 
there's there's so much more to you than this, right? It's not just there might be like other factors that you're not thinking about. I totally get all of that. And it's also a complete dismissal of how hard I've put my own self like into the work that I'm trying to do. It's hard. I, I think we have to recognize, Richard, that when somebody says don't take things personally, I think that assumes a tremendous amount of privilege to disconnect your identity from the thing. And for those of us who have to live with the identities that define us, whether we like it or not, it's really hard. It's just like walking into a restaurant and they give you the worst table and you're like, <laughs> you can't, it's, it's hard to take that not personally. Cause it's, if you're, if, if you're, uh, I don't know, I always think about it. I'm like, why are they, you know, anyway, I digress. Let's go from the worst advice to the best advice and share with us the piece of advice that you've received that's been most impactful for you in the progression of your life. So I, I really wish I could credit the person that told this to me, but I think, you know, like a, like a millennial, I got a lot of my life advice and uh, therapy for free when I couldn't afford it um, off of social media. So this, this comes from Tumblr when I was in college. Uh, some random scrolling on Tumblr. I remember seeing this and I will carry it with me forever. It is, um, we are constantly comparing our behind the scenes reel to everyone else's highlights reel. Um, and so maybe just like explain that a little bit. I, I think it really works well for folks that might be in the creative industry or for folks who are like in acting where you like, you know, you have like a highlights reel, right? Uh, it feels like your best work. Well, we're all comparing our own behind the scenes reel where we see the gags, the bloopers, the outtakes, right? Mm -hmm. We think about that for ourselves. But when we think about other folks, we don't see those moments. We're comparing yeah. our behind the scenes reel to their other folks like shining moments. Um, and I think like the reason why that, that advice is so powerful for me personally is I've, I've had to deal with, um, you know, imposter syndrome and a lot of insecurity for, for most of my career. Um, I, I think you were speaking to this earlier too around, you know, folks that look like us. I think being someone that cares really deeply and passionately about social justice, but also being a Chinese American, Taiwanese American, cisgendered, straight man that grew up in a really affluent suburb, I, I think often about, you know, how much space do I get to take up in these conversations around equity, right, around social justice? Uh, like, especially being like as a non-Black person of color in 2020, right? Like, what is the role that I have here? And when I take space, am I taking it from someone else? Um, so just thinking about imposter syndrome and, and, and these insecurities, that advice around the behind the scenes versus highlights reel, it's really helped me contextualize like, okay, like I'm having these thoughts because of this, like this, this thing that I do where I discount myself. What would it look like to flip it on its head and think about it the other way, right? How are other folks perceiving me um, as opposed to how I'm stuck in my head thinking about myself? I, you know, I agree I, I, I tend to agree that I think it's a difficult place for us to want to play in this space of fighting for what's right or, you know, um, using our privilege to make the world a better place. But I also believe that, you know, we, you know, we, we talk about allies in the work that we do and, you know, uh, people that stand up for us. I, I absolutely think that people like you and your background and your education, like you have to be the one to stand up and say, I'm not giving up the things that I grew up with, but because of the things that I grew up with, I noticed the inequities in the world and therefore I'm trying to fight for it. And I think that speaks more volume. This is sort of like, you know, when, when the rich person says money doesn't mean anything, they say, that's nice, but let me try. And But when a poor person says money doesn't mean anything, people say, well, of course you don't because you don't have any money. And so, you know, it's, it's a lose-lose situation. People are always going to hate. But, you know, 
we all have to play a role in making this world an amazing place. And um, I, I think more than that right now in 2020, uh, we've all demonstrated that doing good work could also mean good things for our businesses and that we're being recognized and then paid for what we deserve and paid for what we are worth. So um, I hope that trend continues and it is not an e-jerk reaction um, to you know uh, some of the unfortunate events that have happened in the world. So Richard, you, you've led a, an amazing career. You're going to continue to grow in it. You've gotten a lot of good advice. You've gotten some bad advice. You've had a time and an opportunity to process all of it. You are now in the consulting position to help other organizations move forward in certain areas. What is the one bit of Richard Leung advice that you want to leave to the world um, for the next generation? Yeah. Uh, so the one advice that I would love to share is that I think a lot of folks, and myself included, um, when we stepped into to really demanding roles and work, we were told, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And so you have to pace yourself. Um, and I love that advice. I think it was really helpful for me when I was when I was a teacher. Um, I like to say that when I was teaching, I was at my best shape of all time because I was eating one meal a day and I lost all my water weight because I was crying every single night. So best shape of my life, but definitely not sustainable. Um, and I, I think that advice around the marathon that's been helped for navigating that. But where I'm at now is I often tell folks, um, it's not just a marathon, it's a relay race. Um, and so whatever work it is that we are doing, and, it's, and it's, I say this as someone that's doing DEI work and social justice work, you know, we have the baton that we have now because there are folks before us that did so much groundwork. And it's really important to go back and recognize that history, right? And recognize that we stand on those shoulders. But I also think that the metaphor of it being a relay race is really helpful for thinking about how can we be most impactful by supporting others? Like at the end of the day, it's not like about you or me in this conversation. It's about all the folks that are listening to us having this conversation. And so something that I've been really intentional about as I've grown in my career is I'm looking ahead. I'm looking down the racetrack, right? I'm looking to see who are the next runners that are waiting um, that I can pass this sort of proverbial baton to. Um, I, I, I am continuously inspired uh, by how bold, creative, innovative, and passionate and kind young people can be. A lot of the work that I do, even though I'm not in education anymore, a lot of the work that I do is also on young folks. And so I, I cannot wait, <laughs> Jerry, I cannot wait to pass the baton to and be replaced uh, by someone younger than me. That's awesome, man. It is a we thing. And the more we think about the world and everything about our lives as a, as a collective exercise, I think we all win. It humbles us, but it also excites us knowing that you know, we don't have to do it all alone. You read a lot of books. Um, I know that you consume a lot of content around you. Uh, but of all the things that you've read, Richard, what has been your most impactful book that you would like to share with our audience today? Yeah, this is like an impossible question. I can't pick one book, but I can pick one book for 2020. Um, and that is has to be Minor Feelings by Kathy Parkhong. Um, Kathy spelled with a C. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at it right on my bookshelf now. Ooh. <laughs> That's amazing, right? So for, for those who, who are, for all the listeners out there, you know, two quick things. Um, for folks who identify as Asian American, I think this book speaks really powerfully to not just the Asian American experience, but really distilling down um, Asian American identity and narratives in a much more deep way than, than I'd ever seen in anything else. Um, there's, just, there's just a beautiful depth of analysis here that I think is really powerful. And even for folks who don't identify as Asian American, I think the concept of minor feelings is a really powerful way to understand um, how other folks feel um, uh, as they navigate different life experiences that you yourself may never actually go through. Um, so I, I'm not going to give it a full justice in this 10 minute podcast, but real quick, you know, we're often sort of conditioned through the stories that we that we consume. But yes, 
children that great change happens, uh, that great growth happens as a result of change. You know, these heroes and heroines of our stories, they, they, they leave their hometowns and they begin to grow. Uh, minor Feelings is about sort of the flip side of that. Minor Feelings is about the rage and anxiety you feel when nothing changes. When there is injustice in the world, when you are the when you are the victim of injustice, and nothing changes to make it better, right? Um, and I think that framing around minor feelings is really really powerful um, to just understand um, how other folks are processing um, and how other folks are moving through life. I love the book, and it is one of the very few books. And I listen to it on audio, which I, I love doing because you feel Kathy's emotions, all of it, coming through in in the way she reads her own book. And it's just one of these books where you're just like, hell yeah. You know, there's so many moments of just like, how does she articulate all the crap that I've been feeling in my entire life and just make me feel, you know, as, as cliche as it is, makes you feel seen and makes you feel heard and makes you feel appreciated in this world. So, Kathy, if you're listening, one, come on the show. Two, thank you for writing the book. Thank you, Richard, <laughs> for making time. If you want to get in touch with Richard, LinkedIn is your best bet. You can search Richard Leong. You can also find his LinkedIn, the link to his LinkedIn profile, as well as uh, to his Instagram and his Twitter right here in the show notes. We'll also put a link to get the book, uh, Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. If you want to get that book for yourself and read it, Richard, I know that the work that you're doing is an amazing work, but it's also very tiring and exhausting. So I, I wish you health, rest, and perspective along the way as 2020 continues to be a very challenging year for all of us. Really, really grateful that you spent a little bit of time with us today sharing your best and worst advice and wish you the best as you move forward in your own career and life. Thanks so much, Jerry. 